Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. All right, welcome back to another installment of the Wide Ride Podcast. I'm Manny Navarro, Miami Hurricanes beat writer for The Athletic. It is Wednesday, February 2nd, recording right around 10.30 a.m. And I know it's National Signing Day, and I know you guys probably want to hear a whole bunch of recruiting conversation, but Miami Hurricanes last night hired themselves a defensive coordinator. And if you've been following the program for the last uh, couple of weeks here, a lot of anxiousness because Miami fans are like, Mario Cristobal was hired December 6th, and we still don't have a coordinator on offense or defense. What's going on here? This guy's taking a sweet time. But last night, uh, Cristobal ends up uh, hiring, or should I say stealing away, Kevin Steele from the Maryland football program. He'd actually started working for Maryland already um, on Friday, had his name on an office door and everything, and I guess – they weren't paying him enough. Mario Cristobal was able to swoop in with all this new money that Miami has for its coaching staff and uh, convinced him to uh, leave Mike Loxley, who I thought he had a great relationship with. Now uh, that's probably ruined. Mario ruined that. Um, and he was able to get himself a, a damn good proven defensive coordinator, 63 years old. And I thought, well, what am I going to do? Miami has hired a coach again. I've got to bring on Tom Green. I've got to bring him on because every single coach that Miami hires these days has coached at Auburn. And we've had Tom on on the podcast before. He's the Auburn uh, beat writer for AL.com. Of course, native Miamian. If, if you listen to him the last time we we're here, Tom, you're covering the number one basketball team in the country over there at Auburn. But we're bringing you in to talk football, brother. Thanks for coming back. Yeah, man. Glad to be back. Like you said, man, it feels like it's a annual off-season tradition for me to come on here and talk some coaches. <laughs> <laughs> well, we had last year, we had Travis Williams here for about, uh, I don't know, two weeks, maybe before he left to become the UCF uh, defensive coordinator. Uh, Miami just had Brian McClendon, uh, the, the Oregon wide receivers coach, um, you know, followed Mario down here. And now he's back at Georgia after three weeks on the job at Miami. I already hear he's telling recruits, hey, Miami's going to run the football a ton. Don't don't go down there. Come play receiver for us at Georgia. You know how this thing works, man. These guys are mercenaries. Yeah. Um, but Kevin Steele's been at this a long time, uh, many, many years. And I feel like his name always came up as a defensive coordinator candidate in the past at Miami when we were down here looking for coordinators, right, with the previous coaching staff. Now he's finally here with Mario. You you covered him at Auburn for, for five years from 2016 to 2020, which you could say is his longest stint, right? I mean, I don't think he was at any other place longer than that. As far as the DC, uh, he spent a year at LSU in 2015. He was at Alabama some with Nick Saban, which is where he met Mario Cristobal. He was at Clemson for three years with Dabo Sweeney, but it feels like, and maybe I'm wrong, Tom, that he did some of his best work in his entire career in those five years at Auburn. Oh yeah. I mean, he, he resurrected that Auburn defense during his time there. I mean, he took over in 2016, you know, after Will Muschamp spent one year there and then 
went off to South Carolina. And, you know, there was some talent on that roster, but, you know, that defense just hadn't been very good or very consistent um, over the previous few years. Um, and he just came in and, you know, he refortified that Auburn defense that, you know, that program was so well known for, you know, in the early 2000s and the 90s and stuff like that. Um, you know, he he's relentless. He schemes very well. Um, you know, I think Miami got itself arguably, you know, if not the best defensive coordinator in college football, a top three defense coordinator in college football. And it's funny because most fans are sitting around saying, well, what, what took him so long, right? Like why, why did Mario take nearly two months to get this hire done? If this guy wasn't even coaching last year. Now I know some people on the internet, these internet trolls who don't read up and don't know much about coaching say, well, if he was so good, why wasn't he working last year? Well, he was getting paid not to work, right? I mean, between the money from yeah. Tennessee and Auburn, right? To, to go away, he was, he was, he was banking. Yeah, he. I think he was making something like $2 million to just stay at home. And, you know, I mean, I know he was he kept his house in Auburn. And I know he's got a, a beach house in South Carolina. So, you know, he you know, was, had plenty of incentives to not work the last year. Um, I know, I know he did some other work with, uh, I think some, you know, Marine veterans and stuff like that. Um, I know CBS had a story about that, uh, sometime in the last year, um, did a lot of speaking engagements, stuff like that. So, I mean, he, he was just kicking back and, you know, waiting for the right opportunity. Um, now obviously he, he's 63, probably, you know, pondered what, if he still wanted to coach, but knowing Kevin and uh, just his drive, I mean, that, that man is a football coach. Um, <laughs> so I, I think it's a you know, really good opportunity for him to get back down there to Miami. Um, yeah. Yeah. He's got a lot to fix though. He's got a lot to fix. And, and I don't know if that's something that when he took the Auburn job, if he talked about it, if that's something that motivates him, because you mentioned, uh, you know, the situation at Auburn, I think they had three defensive coordinators in three years, right? Right before he was hired to to uh, replace Muschamp. And I think, you know, they, they uh, you mentioned they weren't very good, but they got pretty good pretty quickly because I'm looking here at the 2016 numbers. Um, this is just against FBS opponents, but his first year, um, they finished eighth in scoring defense, 18.5 points per game against FBS programs, 40th in yardage. Um, I mean, they were top 30 uh, in third down defense, um, you know, and, and this wasn't even a team that, that produced a whole lot of sacks or turnovers. This, this was just a team that played solid foundational defense. What do you remember of, of Kevin's first season in Auburn and why he was able to turn things around so quickly? Well, I think so. That was my second season covering the team. So I. You know, everything was still moving kind of quick for me, but with, with Kevin coming in, I think one of the biggest things that helped is that there was a very good talent foundation there. Um, obviously, Will Muschamp and Travis Robinson did a really good job recruiting for Auburn. Um, you know, a lot, some good DBs, some talented uh, defensive linemen in there. Uh, you know, linebacker was a little bit weak at first, but they did a really good job of, you know, building that position back up. And that's, you know, that's a position that's been Kevin Steele's specialty throughout his career. Uh, you know, he's a linebacker's coach by trade. Um, so I, I think a lot of it was just instilling this mentality in them. Um, you know, he, the one thing he would always harp on is relentless effort. 
Um, and like you said, this isn't a team that you know necessarily put up gaudy sack numbers or got a lot of turnovers. Obviously, they wanted to win the turnover battle. Everybody wants to win the turnover battle every time. But this was a team that was just really, you know, solid uh, from a foundation standpoint. You know, they, they would almost be in sometimes a bend don't break type of defense um, where you know sometimes you look at the yardage and oh man, they gave up such and such many yards, but you know they were holding teams to well below their season average scoring. Um, you know, as long as you're, you know, mitigating the damage in the red zone, you're going to be in good position. Yeah. And, and you mentioned fixing the linebacker position, right? That was something that, I mean, look, Miami was one of the worst tackling teams in the country last year. And, you know, big reason why Manny Diaz isn't here because he took on the defensive coordinator duties. He said, Hey, I'm going to fix things. But the problem with Manny is he didn't recruit the linebacker position very well. After Shaq Quarterman and Michael Pinckney left, um, you had a bunch of four-star guys that were here, like Avery Huff, and uh, there, there were some other guys that just didn't get that. Like, they weren't even on the field. Like, they couldn't figure out how to play the defense right. He ended up having to go with Corey Flagg, who was a second-year freshman, a step slow. He had some older guys uh, out there, uh, Wayman Steed, who had come off of injury, Bradley Jennings, all these guys that, you know, you look at the great tradition of linebacker play at Miami, Dan Morgan, Ray Lewis, like these guys are nowhere near the stratosphere, but Steele is going to fix that. It feels like it feels like he's going to do a good job recruiting linebackers, producing linebackers. Can you talk about that specifically of what he did at Auburn in terms of recruiting quality guys and, and you know, sort of fixing that position? Yeah, I mean, Auburn's linebacker room went from, you know, kind of the you know weak chain in the, you know, the weak link in the chain on that defense to, you know, really the strength. Uh, in the last few years, um, you know, once he and Travis Williams were able to recruit and some guys to really fill that void. I mean, you, you look at what, what they did with uh, Deshaun Davis, who was, you know, a undersized three-star linebacker out of Mobile, came to Auburn and, you know, basically, you know, from what I remember, Will Muschamp told him that he would basically never play. You know, he, he wasn't going to, he wasn't going to amount to much, on the field, uh, you know, Muschamp left, Travis Williams, Kevin Steele come in, and they're like, no, like, we know what you're capable of because Travis was on staff already as a GA the year before. Um, and so the, they saw the talent there and they groomed him into a tackling machine and an all SEC caliber linebacker. Um, and obviously, he, he got a little bit of a shot in the NFL and now he's coaching high school football back at his alma mater. But, uh, you know, it really started with him. Um, you know, he just the, the numbers that he put up were just stupid. Uh, his all SEC year, I, I think he was the first uh, Auburn player to average double digit tackles um, in a season or, you know, per game in a season in like almost 20 years, something like that. Um, but then just continued, you know, they, they landed Owen Papo, five star linebacker out of Georgia, who's, you know, he's coming back for a senior season now at Auburn. But, you know, he's a guy that could be a day one or day two pick in the NFL draft next year. Um, it's a Cody McLean, another guy that's just, you know, a playmaker. I mean, he led the country in tackles in 2020, which was Steele's last year. He led Auburn in tackles again this past season. Um, and, you know, just again, that word relentless. Um, I think that's what you're going to see from, you know, that linebacker position with Kevin Steele. Um, these guys are going to produce, they're going to be sound tacklers. I know, I know you mentioned that's something that, you know, Miami didn't do too well, but Auburn under Kevin Steele, at least, you know, you didn't see many missed tackles in the open field. 
Um, and, you know, they, they got off the field on third downs. They stopped teams in the red zone, and the linebacker core is a major reason why. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Yeah. And again, I'm looking at the numbers from all of the stops, uh, just just the last, you know, nine or 10 Clemson, LSU. And you look at it, his teams. I mean, I think they finished in the top 25 in sacks just what four times out of those nine. So it's not like he was consistently having some some great pass rush every single year or he was blitzing on every single down this is a guy who could mix it up like uh, go go back to prob- probably his best performance ever individually uh that 2019 game at lsu the team that averaged over 50 points a game and and just you know reset the record book in college football with joe burrow and uh jamar chase and all and all these great players um and and he held them to 23 points what do you remember about that game and maybe just his flexibility with his defense to be able to sort of throw surprises at teams. Yeah. I mean, that game was wild when you, when you think about it and you knew just watching it early on that something was different and, you know, Kevin Steele typically runs a four, two, five base. They switched it up for that LSU game because they knew not, nobody really been able to slow down that LSU passing attack. I mean, you you listed off the talent, the the records that that team broke on offense uh, on the way to a national championship. But Auburn came out in a three one seven defense. Um, <laughs> so you know they had three down linemen, a single linebacker, and just seven defensive backs blanketing that blanketing that secondary. And like you said, it, it kind of flummoxed LSU. Um, Auburn lost that game. Uh, you know, it was a little bit more to due to the offense being unable to you know put up enough points because, like you said, they held LSU way below that season average. Uh, nobody else even compared uh, to what Auburn was able to do at LSU. I think it was Georgia in the was it the SEC championship game um, tried to run the same scheme that Auburn did, and they they just couldn't couldn't have the same effectiveness that Auburn did. Um, and I think that really speaks volumes to, you know, Kevin Steele's ability to kind of adapt and be innovative and come up with, you know, different ways to attack different opponents. Um, you know, I know that's one that, you know, he'd been thinking about that scheme for a little bit heading into that game. And obviously he had some familiar familiarity with LSU, you know, just from being there before he came to Auburn, but, Obviously, that was a completely different LSU offense, and he knew he needed to come up with something different to try to give his team a chance to compete in that one. Any other games stick out in your mind in, in the five years that he was there where, I don't know, he, he, he did things that were just sort of out of the ordinary or different that, that helped you know, Auburn win games that they might not have had a chance to do? Um, I mean, there were some really good defensive performances during his time at Auburn. Um, yeah, I think one that, or, you know, a couple that you really have to look back toward is, you know, that, that two game stretch in 2017, um, 
or rather two, you know, two games in over three weeks uh, when Auburn knocked off top ranked Georgia and then top ranked Alabama, um, mm-hmm. both, both at home, you know, in that Georgia game, you know, Auburn held, you know, Georgia to 17 points, held that Alabama team to 14 points. Um, and it was just, you know, a masterful performance all around from Auburn, but especially from that defense. And, and it's not like, look, it's not like he, he didn't have talent to work with, but these weren't all first round picks, right? I mean, how many, how many like first rounders did he really have play for him? How many like, you know, um, I don't know, game, game altering times. In other words, he did it with good college players that were not necessarily super pros or guys that are pro bowlers or anything of that nature. Right. I mean, obviously you had some, uh, you know, NFL caliber guys, you like Carlton Davis played for him. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jamel Dean also with the Bucks played for right. him. You know, they, they, they certainly produced some uh, talented defensive backs during a tenure. Daniel Thomas, who I believe is with the Jags still. Um, and, you know, some, some solid defensive linemen and some good college linebackers. But, you know, th- this wasn't a team that was just churning out you know, first round pick after first round pick. Right. This wasn't Auburn's roster. I mean, uh, Alabama's roster. (laughs) Yeah. But I I will say that that defensive line, uh, his last few years, I mean, they had Derek Brown, who was, you know, number what five overall pick to Panthers, Marlon Davidson, who I believe went in the third round to the Falcons. I mean, those guys were foundational to that defensive front. But those were guys he recruited, right? His staff recruited. They kind of came in because of him when he, after he took over. Yeah, yeah, Auburn, Auburn landed those guys when when yep. Kevin was there. I mean, so D- Derek would have been 2017, 18, and 19, yeah, and Marlon uh, came in Steele's first year, I believe, so. Yeah, I mean, so these are th- this wasn't like guys that he inherited, and in 2017, when they beat Georgia and Alabama, those were guys that he had inherited, and, and it wasn't like it was a special collection is what I'm trying to say. Is it, 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 you know, people people have this idea that, you know, yeah, well, he, he did well because he coached it, he coached it, places like Auburn and LSU and Clemson had so much talent, but sometimes, you know, it's, it's not, i put it this way. It's not like the hurricane. It's not like you had Ray Lewis, Warren Sapp, uh, any of these like game altering NFL talents that, so this is a lot of this was just good coaching and, and just being able to build good chemistry with his units. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like I said, I, I think he's one of the best defensive minds in college football. I mean, there's a reason he was one of only, two assistants in the country who was making north of two, $2 million on his uh, last deal here. Yeah. Um, yeah I, I think that speaks volumes of what, you know, not just the results that he produced, but how highly he was thought of, you know, at Auburn and, you know, I'm sure elsewhere because, you know, you're, you're not going to necessarily fork over that kind of money uh, unless there's, other people willing to pay that kind of value for them too, you know, mm-hmm. right now at Miami, they've only got uh, a defensive uh, line coach in place in Joe Salavea. Um, I'm assuming he's going to coach linebackers. Steel will coach linebackers or, or end up hiring somebody that he knows to coach linebackers. DB Javaris Robinson, you know, left for to join Alabama staff. Uh, you still have Demarcus Van Dyke, who was the cornerbacks coach at Miami. Um, but as far as hiring staff and, and guys that he has worked with in the past, assistants, um, are there any that you think he could end up trying to bring with him to Miami from his Auburn days that you might think would be a good fit down here? Yeah, I'm not, I'm not so sure about that yet. Um, mm-hmm. you know, I'm trying to think you know, where some of these guys are because you know, like, like a Travis Williams isn't going to leave a defense coordinator job. spot to, to take a linebacker spot, you know, Rodney Garner, who was Auburn's, you know, longtime th- defensive line coach. He, he's still at Tennessee. 
Um, I don't know if I'd see him coming down there. Um, who else? Wesley McGriff worked there in the secondary for a little bit. Um, he was at so Miami he, before. Yeah, yeah, he was at Miami before, and he was at Florida last season. Um, and now I think he's back at Ole Miss, if I remember correctly. Right. Um, and then uh, oh God, what's his name? Um, Marcus Woodson uh, was another guy that coached in the secondary, but you know, he's on Florida State staff right now. Um, that would be an interesting hire, obviously. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, anytime you can, you know, kind of weaken a rival and you know feel like you're strengthening your staff, you know, that's that's a good proposition. But I don't know if I don't know if these are guys that Kevin would try to tab for his defense. So I am curious to see kind of how he fills out those openings on that staff. Yeah, it's going to be interesting, um, but he's very well connected, obviously, having coached in a lot of different places. Oh, yeah. And, and and this game in college football of swiping coaches, you know, like what they did with Kevin Steele to bring him here from from Maryland. Right. Um, how how do you sort of view it covering the SEC? Is this just common practice now, man, where I, I haven't seen it happen too often at Miami other than them losing guys? I haven't seen Miami really swipe somebody away who just accepted a job. This is kind of a first. Uh, but is this common practice now these days in the SEC? Yeah, I mean, I, I feel like, you know, the coaching carousel is just always turning everywhere. Um, and I think things almost seem like a little bit more wild just because of the transfer portal too. So, you know, you have these coaches leaving and then you have some players following them elsewhere and stuff like that. Um, yeah, I, I think it's, I think it's more interesting now uh, that, that the players kind of have a little bit more, you know, control over where they are and who they're playing for. Um, but yeah, uh, you know, Kevin, you know, taking that Miami job after, you know, being in line to start at Maryland is certainly interesting. Um, you know, at Auburn in the last couple of weeks, there's been some coaching turnover too. Um, you know, offensive coordinator that was hired 43 days before stepped down for personal reasons. You know, Derek Mason stepped down from his position and as defensive coordinator, and then four days later took the Oklahoma State job, which was, you know, basically a lateral move. So, I mean, there's all sorts of craziness, uh, you know, going on with those coaching changes everywhere. Well, you and I will not be talking about Auburn, Miami until 2029, because that's when the when the when the next meeting between the Canes and Tigers take place. I'm hoping you and I are still covering the same teams because uh, because we'd be able to talk about a lot right between now and then. Yeah, man, you'd have to have me on like what every week leading up to that opener. Pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> um, so Miami, Auburn uh, and, and the first one's here in South Florida, September 1, uh, 2029. And then at Auburn, August 31st, 2030. I'm interested to see where where I'm at in life at that point. Um, but uh, how how exciting, like how much excitement was there in the over where you're at, where people were talking about that game when it was announced or not really? Like the Canes have been pretty bad for a long time now. Do, do, does anybody at Auburn remember when Miami was good? Like, was there sort of a <laughs> sort of a, hey, that'll be a cool game or, or any of that kind of conversation? Yeah, I, I think like anytime some of these marquee non-conference games get announced, you know, there's there's some some level of excitement. Um, I know Auburn fans were you know really excited this last year making the trip to Penn State just because it's a place they'd never really been before. Mm-hmm. I know they got you know they got the return game against Penn State next year. They got Cal coming up in a couple of years. I think they got Baylor on their future schedule too. You know, the fans get excited about these you know big Power Five out of conference games because, I mean. Let's face it, 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 it gives them something different. Um, you know, Auburn's schedule year in and year out is going to be one of the toughest in the SEC just by nature of, you know, 
being in the same division as Alabama and LSU and Texas A&M and Ole Miss and then having Georgia as your permanent cross-division rival. Um, so it, it, it's kind of like, a, you know, it's refreshing to see, you know, this a new team that you haven't necessarily played often or in a long time. Um, but I think as the game gets closer, there's going to be a lot more excitement about that. I'm curious to see where both programs are in seven years. Mm-hmm. Um but, you know, if, if I'm still covering this team, I'm certainly going to be excited to get to come back home and cover a game down there. Yeah. Um, who do you think uh, wins a, a national championship first between Miami and Auburn? Do you think any of them do between now and uh, that meeting Oof. in 29? In 29? Man, that, that's tough, man. I think Miami has an easier path to winning a national championship than Auburn does. Um, like I said, just Auburn's, Auburn's SEC schedule every year is just so – difficult um the good thing for auburn is that if it can win the division it's going to be in the national championship in the playoff discussion mm-hmm. um and if the playoff expands to 12 teams by then you know i think auburn's chances certainly increase um but you know I, I think miami just by nature of you know the acc top to bottom not being as strong i mean you really just have to get through clemson at this point mm-hmm. um I, I think they have a little bit easier path so I don't know if either of them is going to win anything in the next seven years, but I'm curious to see what Mario Cristobal can build down there and you know how quickly he can get the U being you know close to back. Mm-hmm. Well, will Nick Staben still be coaching in 2029? That'll be a that'll be an interesting question, right? Uh, <laughs> if he's still if he's still terrorizing uh, everybody up there in the SEC. Um, look, we started with Kevin Steele. We might as well end with it. Um, talk about kind of his last year there. Obviously, coaching change, head coaching change, everything that sort of happened um, in in 2020. Bad year, COVID year. I mean, it was it was complicated. I know the numbers weren't necessarily great for his defense, but um, it, did they did they lose more because of the offense or because of the defense in 2020? And, and what kind of led to his demise there? I think they they lost more because of the offense, and ultimately that's going to be the story of you know how everybody remembers Gus Malzahn's tenure because. You know, they, they hired him as this offensive guru and he came in and was really innovative and, you know, guided them to within 13 seconds of a national championship in year one there. But the off, you know, everybody else started to catch up to what Auburn was doing offensively and teams adjusted and figured out how to, how to, you know, cover that or defend that hurry up, no huddle offense. Um, you know, Kevin Steele's defense was really consistent during his five years at Auburn. Uh, like you said, the, the numbers kind of fell off a little bit in that last year. But, you know, keep in mind, it w- like you said, it was the COVID year. Uh, the season started like a month later. It was a 10-game SEC-only schedule, so the numbers are going to be a little bit more skewed than they were when you're, you know, playing three or four out-of-conference teams every year, too. Um, you know, Kevin Steele, you know, I think he was in the first year of a new three-year deal in 2020. And, you know, Plenty of people at Auburn would have loved to keep him. Um, you know, it, it, was, it was just they made a change at the top, and Brian Harson wanted to, you know, go his own direction in building his staff. Um, so, you know, I, I don't think there was anything that was so much a demise for Kevin Steele. I mean, they obviously named him interim head coach after they fired Gus Malzahn, and he coached he coached the uh, Citrus Bowl against Northwestern. Um, but yeah, uh, you know, he, he he was just really consistent during his five years at Auburn. Yeah. People forget he was a head coach briefly um, at Baylor and I guess not very good. It was hard to win at Baylor back then when he was trying to fix things. Yeah. Um, did they did, did he get any consideration for that head coaching vacancy 
at Auburn? Was there ever a point where you thought, well, maybe this will be his second chance at being a head coach? Um, where, where, you know, maybe if, if not for the, for them going with Harson, that he, he'd be a head coach today. Oh yeah, absolutely. There were a lot of, uh, you know, powerful people at Auburn um, with a lot of influence who wanted Kevin Steele to take over the program. Um, you know, I think some people were a little bit shocked that he wasn't named the head coach, but I think the longer that that coaching search dragged on, um, you know, I think it was a nine or 10 day coaching search, the longer that dragged on, I think the less likely it became that, you know, he was going to get that opportunity, but, you know, the, the, certainly the first almost week of that search, um, Kevin Steele was a very prominent name and, you know, a lot of people thought that he was going to get it. And there were a lot of powerful people that wanted him to get it. Yeah. And when he didn't, was he disappointed? Did you ever get a chance to talk to him after, you know, everything sort of went down or what was sort of your last conversation with him about? Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm sure he, he was a little bit disappointed. I mean, I know he enjoyed uh, being in Auburn. Like I said, he continued to live here uh, the last year. Um, kept the house here in Auburn. Um, and I think he would have liked the opportunity to, you know, have a second shot at running a program, but I mean, he, he, he was at peace with it. I mean, he's, he's been enjoying his life the last year. I'm sure he's excited to get back into coaching and get down to Miami and, you know, see what he can do with Mario, who he's, you know, he's obviously familiar with, you know, they spent two years together on staff at Alabama there. So, uh, you know, just curious to see how things work out for him down there. He's got to be reinvigorated. He's, he's been on vacation long enough. I'm interested to see who he's studied or what he's done in that free time. If he's just been like golfing or doing whatever he likes to do in the free time, you know, uh, or, or, or maybe he's got a whole bunch of new ideas. You know, I don't know. I don't know what, what kind of personality is he, by the way, just from a reporter perspective, I'm trying to figure out what life's going to be like with him the next few years. He's a, he, he's good to deal with. Um, mm-hmm. you know, he, he was very helpful. Um, you know, to me when I, when I was covering him, you know, you might piss him off sometimes and, you know, he, he, he won't hide those feelings. You know, you might get a call and, you know, just need to let him vent for a little bit, but, you know, after that he'll, he'll be like, all right, you know, we're, we're good. Uh, you know, any, any qualms I had, I said my piece, don't think twice about it. Um, you know, he, he's going to stick up for his players. Um, that's one thing for sure. And, you know, he's, uh, he's very insightful when talking about defense. I mean, you can tell, you know, the vast knowledge that he's just accrued over his coaching career. I mean, it really comes through when you, when you speak to him and uh, you know, he's, a, he's an interesting guy. Um, you now when you, when you talk to him, even outside of football, uh, you know, just talking him off the record, you know, he's a really interesting guy. And you know, I think you'll enjoy covering him. I'm looking forward to it. Uh, like you said, one of the best, one of the most respected defensive coordinators in college football coming to South Florida, considering where uh, the Hurricanes were at last year and how many missed tackles and embarrassing moments uh, there were for this defense. I think he's going to I think he's going to be a good, uh, good solution to Miami's problems. So, uh, Tom, you, you are always uh, a great uh, guest on the show. I appreciate all the time you've you given me the insights you've shared with our listeners um, I want people to also know where, where to find your work at AL.com. Uh, follow you on Twitter. What's the Twitter address again? Uh, Tomas underscore Verde. So just my name in Spanish. You know, right. little, little, little nod to back home. <laughs> That's right. That's right. That's where they can follow you. Uh, thanks again, man. Friend of the show. Hope to have you on here again before 2029. I'm sure we're going to be talking about like some offensive coordinator or uh, <laughs> other assistant coach in the next few uh, months that, that ended up coming to Miami. So uh, well, look for- well, 
Miami already had a former Auburn offense coordinator, so that ship sailed. Yeah, that's the, true. We Rhett. need special teams. Right. You, I forgot about Rhett. We need special teams. That's the next uh, the next area. You take care, Tom. Appreciate it. Thanks, Manny. I'm the new kid in town, about to take this crown.